The English language can be challenging when you're only listening to it and not reading it at the same time. For instance, we have the word whole, H-O-L-E, meaning an empty space, like a hole in your donut. We have the word whole, W-H-O-L-E, meaning no empty space, complete. We have holy, H-O-L-E-Y, meaning lots of empty spaces like your Swiss cheese. And we have holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning no empty spaces, completely intact, entire like an untouched piece of pecan pie. And yes, I said it correctly, pecan pie. Thank you. And then we have holy, H-O-L-E, what God is. And actually, all these words are related to each other, creating this question for us this morning. Is there a hole in your holiness? Now, the answer is probably yes and no. And I hope by the time we've finished our time in God's Word this morning, that the answer will be no and yes. No, there is no H-O-L-E, there is no emptiness in my holiness, H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S. And yes, because I seek to be holy, I am whole, W-H-O-L-E. Are you thoroughly confused? We're going to get after it this morning, because here's the thing, you and I must pursue in our lives the wholeness of holiness. We must pursue the wholeness of holiness. That's what we'll see as we return once again to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to take it now. If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And you'll find the passage on page 1014. When you found your place in the Holy Word of God, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read His Word together. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, this is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father... Teach us this morning, we pray, more about holiness and more about wholeness that we can find in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. First this morning, we really have to take a, a little bit of time to review. And that's good news because repetition 
is the handmaiden of learning, and so if you were here last week, you'll only be blessed again to hear this again. And if you weren't here last week, you can be blessed by hearing this command, you shall be holy, for I am holy, in the context of the God who inspired it and the man who wrote it. The command was inspired by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, all names used to refer to the third person of the Trinity. Jesus, the great good shepherd, entrusted his flock, his sheep, the people who had been following him, the people who were to follow him in the future. He entrusted that flock into the care of Peter. Three times, as Jesus and Peter walked along the beach on that day after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And so, now, more than 30 years later, when Peter writes this letter to these believers, it is his call from Jesus. It is his heart to shepherd them as he himself had been shepherded by Jesus. And what kind of shepherd is Jesus? Well, we saw last week, he's a good shepherd. He's a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He's a shepherd who, according to Psalm 23, leads people into green pastures and by still waters and through the dark alleys of life, even through the valley of the shadow of death. He's a shepherd who invites his people to come into his own house, the house of the Lord, to serve a feast from which it will never be time to leave. It will never be true for you or me that we have to go back to our own shanties and eat our own paltry food. No, the shepherd says, you will dwell in my house and the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. This is the shepherd God, the shepherd Savior who says, Be holy, for I am holy. He is our gentle shepherd, and he is a holy, awesome, fearsome God. He is both and. He is not either or. Shepherd and holy are not pitted against each other in Scripture. One does not preclude the other. In fact, one includes the other. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 can sometimes be troublesome to us. We read there, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and fear. And here's the part that scares us. For our God is a consuming fire. Indeed, He is. But this verse does not speak of God's wrath or His anger. It does not mean that if you mess up in worship, God is going to turn you into a piece of burnt toast. As we said last week, the wrath that a holy God rightly feels toward the sin that is holy or entirely unholy, 
has already been satisfied by Jesus on the cross. If you are a believer in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, God's wrath is not a sin-seeking missile ready to blast you for your every failure. Jesus took the wrath for you. He drank the cup that Scripture describes as the cup of God's wrath. That's the cup about which Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let this cup pass from me. But the cup didn't pass. Jesus drank it. And when on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And when on the cross, Jesus said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when Jesus on the cross breathed his last and died, that cup fell from his dead hand empty. But such was the enormity of that cup. The monumental weight of that cup that carried the wrath of God against the sin of the world, past, present, and future. Is it any wonder then when that cup hit the ground and shattered that Scripture says the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were open? Christ consumed the cup. So the holy, consuming fire of God will not consume you. People of God, is that good news? And don't forget what we read up in verse 5. We are those who by God's power are being guarded. God is guarding us through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. So if God's holiness causes fear, it should not be the fear of destruction. It's the fear of awe, awe of the, the majesty and greatness and the white, hot intensity of the purity of a holy God. It means that you and I must not approach our gentle Savior, holy God, flippantly or casually or thoughtlessly or distractedly as if God is just the background noise of our lives while we get about our business. No, always we are to be in awe that a holy God would be our good and gentle and great shepherd. So now, this week, let's consider what it means for us to be holy in the light of the holiness of God. Holiness, for the theologians, is called a communicable attribute of God. A communicable, a communicable attribute is one that God can share, that He can communicate, that He can pass on to us. The omnis of God are not communicable. We are neither called nor equipped to be omnipotent. God alone is all-powerful. We're not called or equipped to be omniscient. God alone knows all things. 
Do not elbow your spouse right now. And such is true for his omnipresence. Only God can be present everywhere. But holiness, you see. Holiness, that's different. God shares it with us, his holiness, so he can demand it from us in our lives. Again, by way of review, we saw last week that our holiness will never be the quality of God's. 17th century Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks writes, Holiness in angels and saints is but a quality, but in God, it's His essence. And so here's the difference. Holiness will never be our essence, like it's the essence of God, but it's a quality that we must have in our lives. And so to achieve holiness, God must be our pattern. Would you look again in verse 15. We read there, but as he who called you is holy. Now that little word as is simply this. It's a marker of similarity. It means according to or in conformity with. It's the norm that governs something. And so listen to this please. It should be normal. And not exceptional that you and I live lives of holiness because God communicates His holiness to us. And that quality of holiness in your life and mine has at least two characteristics. The first one is wholeness, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S, and the second is separateness. Now this morning, we have only time to talk about this characteristic of wholeness. And Lord willing, next week, we'll talk about being set apart. But first, for you and for me, to be holy means that we must be whole because God is whole. Holiness is wholeness. Charles Spurgeon writes, holiness is another word for wholeness. Sinclair Ferguson writes, holiness in God also means wholeness. So remember, God is our pattern, and God is whole in His being. God lacks nothing. We've talked about this over and over and over again. I would love it if someone could shout out the theological term for God being complete in Himself. Anybody? Oh, yes, $100 goes to you. The aseity of God. He's complete in and of himself. He needs nothing outside himself, and so he's independent of all else. In God, there's no emptiness. In God, there's nothing missing. In God, there's no hole that needs to be filled. God isn't waiting or looking for something else to be the final piece of the puzzle that makes him finally and fully holy. No, God is whole. And he knows the joy and the delight and the pleasure and the happiness and the peace of being whole. The cohesion of holiness. I think of the holiness of God just in my brain. Holiness is like a a magnet in the center of the being of God. That magnet, that holiness, attracts all the other attributes of God. 
and holds them fast. Everything about God attaches to His holiness. His love attaches to His holiness. And then His love radiates out as a holy love. His righteousness attaches to His holiness. And it radiates out to us as holy righteousness. His justice attaches to His holiness. And it radiates out to us and to the world as a holy justice. Everything about God attaches to and radiates from His holiness. There are no disparate parts or qualities of God that are floating loose and free somewhere detached from His holiness. No. They all cohere in God. And by that I mean within God there is no conflict. There's no turmoil. God will never say as we say, I am so torn. Not with God. He's whole. He coheres in His being. And so when God communicates His holiness to us, He's communicating, now listen to this, the ability for you and for me to be whole. How does that sound? I'm going to say it again. When God communicates His holiness to us, He is communicating the ability for you and for me to have whole lives. That's why I've never understood why this idea of holiness is seen in such a negative light. Something, holiness, such a downer, such a drudgery, something to be avoided if we really want to enjoy life. No. Holiness is a positive thing because it offers to us wholeness. Father, you offer me wholeness? I'll take it, right? Don't you want to be whole? We're not. We have emptiness. We have missing pieces. We have pieces that won't seem to come together for us for all sorts of reasons. If you were raised by an angry father or mother or both, you're missing that piece. You're missing that piece of the the love of earthly parents and all the holes that result in your life because of that. We would be here all morning if I attempted to enumerate and then illustrate all the reasons that you and I are not whole people. All the reasons that we are divided in conflict with ourselves. All the reasons that we're divided in our affections and say, I am so torn. We're being pulled, as we call it, in different directions. Magnets stronger than our will to be holy attract us. Some of that Pulling is done by people who themselves are not whole. And so God offers to restore the wholeness for which He created us. The Westminster Confession of Faith says in chapter 4, After God had made all other creatures, He created man, male and female, 
with reasonable and immortal souls, endued with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness after his own image. Adam and Eve were created whole, like God is whole. They had within themselves the same internal cohesion that God had. Before they sinned, they had nothing that drew them away. No other magnets drawing them away from God. I can't imagine it. They had wholeness with each other. All the factors that break down our relationships and make them unwhole and incomplete and empty and less than we want them to be, they did not exist. They had wholeness with all that God had created. No poison ivy. No, no seams. And God's people said, the confession goes on to say that before Adam and Eve sinned, they were happy, happy in their communion with God and had dominion over the creatures. Little wonder then that the Garden of Eden is called paradise. By calling us to holiness, God is calling us back to wholeness. And I know you want to be whole. I want to be whole. I think of that hymn we used to sing when I was growing up. Lord Jesus, I want to be perfectly whole. I want thee to ever... To live in my soul, break down every idol, cast out every foe. Lord, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We want wholeness. The fruit of the Spirit that is holy brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now do this. Put the word whole in front of each of those. Each of those things that make up our lives. God, in calling us to holiness, and calling us to wholeness, is calling us to whole love, whole joy, whole peace, whole patience, whole kindness, whole goodness, whole faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Holiness is living an integrated life. Where all things about our lives are attracted to God and sticking to Him. Listen to what David prays in Psalm 86. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So that's addressing the holiness of God. Only God is God. Then David says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. David's prayer is that God would unite his heart. That's from the ESV. Before there was an ESV, I learned the verse in the NIV, which translates the prayer, Lord, give me an undivided heart. In Hebrew, the word that's translated united or undivided simply means this, to designate exclusively. So the prayer would be, Lord, designate my heart exclusively 
to be in awe of you and your holiness. And then David goes on to pray, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, not a divided heart, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. Little wonder he deserves our whole undivided hearts because of his great love for us. The same idea of being united and undivided is in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Another verse that causes us so much angst that we want to skip over it because we misunderstand it. Jesus says that you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we think, how can it possibly be? Because God is not calling us to sinless perfection. Why would He? He's our Creator. He's the one who has seen the devastation of sin. He knows that we can't be perfect. When Jesus says be perfect, it's once again a call to wholeness, to completeness. Be complete, be whole, as your Father in heaven is whole. It's the same idea we see lived out. And that rich young man who came to Jesus one day, you know the story. He said, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus responded, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And the young man said, which ones? Well, Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young man said, all these, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said, if you would be perfect. And here is the same word again. Not meaning flawless, but complete. If you would be per uh, complete, perfect, go sell what you possess Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, because he had great possessions. You see, that young man had a divided heart. He loved God, but he wasn't whole. He was torn. Other magnets had a stronger pull on his life than God had. He was resisting the magnetic draw of the holiness of God. He wanted to keep his money. He wanted to keep his possessions all over here, unto themselves, instead of allowing them to be attached to and touched by the holiness of God. That money, those possessions, they were not evil in themselves. God uses those. To care for his people and to extend his kingdom throughout the world. But accumulating them and possessing them must not divide our hearts. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's a divided heart. Holiness is having one master, Jesus. You see, we can choose that. We can choose that. It's not beyond the ability of any one of us here in this room. Holiness requires a conscious detachment 
from all that separates us from God. Say it again. Holiness requires a conscious detachment from all that separates us from God. We can make that choice in our lives. It's not beyond our ability. And that does not mean that we go live in a monastery. We cannot detach ourselves from the world, which Jesus has already said. We read earlier this morning that He has placed us in. But we can live in the midst of it with hearts for God. Martin Luther said, When God purifies the heart by faith, the market is sacred as well as the sanctuary. You see the point? The issue isn't, the the issue is who you are, wherever you are. You can be holy anywhere. All that you have can be holy, entirely given to God. Our finances, yours, Lord. Our free time, yours, Lord. Our friends, yours, Lord. Our families, yours, Lord. We don't have these free, floating parts detached from God. And so if we will obey this command to be holy as God is holy, it simply means that we will seek to have our lives cohere in Christ. He is at the center. He is the magnet that draws all parts of our lives together and attaches to Him. That is holiness. That's holiness. Holiness means all of those parts of us coalesce in Christ. And that puts holiness in our grasp. It's not something ephemeral, urethral, somewhere out there. Whoa, holiness, holiness. There is that element to it. But it's also concrete. It's also attainable by the choices we make. And it's a blessing for us to experience the wholeness of holiness. Little wonder then that God communicates it from Himself to us. The striving ceases, the pulling ceases, the tearing ceases, the indecision ceases. Each of those things that plague our lives and cause us unrest. No, God calls us to the wholeness of holiness. But we must choose it. And I will end with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Nobody ever grew holy without consenting, desiring, and agonizing to be holy. Holiness needs cultivation. Follow it. It will not run after you. You must pursue it with determination, with eagerness, with perseverance as a hunter pursues his prey. Let's pray. Father, may we, gifted by you, with the holiness that you communicate to us from yourself through your Holy Spirit, put holiness in the crosshairs of our lives wherever we go throughout the day. May your holiness, the cohesion, of life we find in Christ, may it ever be before us, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.